I'm Luke. I'm John. Today we're all about anarchy with a hangover. Welcome to Saturday mornings on Cracking TV. They spent their whole lives watching TV. Now they're sharing their opinions with you. Cause now they wanna have some fun. With a channel that is all brand new. Get comfy and without further ado. They'll choose the shows that you want to view. It's time to change the channel to Luke and John Cracking TV. Luke and John Cracking TV. Well, Luke, this is exciting, our very own podcast. It really is exciting, John. And it's really nice to be trailblazers on the podcasting scene with the totally original idea of middle-aged mates talking about popular culture. Yeah, you're right. That demographic of old white privileged men wanging on about things they remember from the 80s is a real gap in the market. Never been done. But why is this podcast called Cracking TV? I was wondering... Well, Luke and I have been working behind the scenes in television for about 50 years between us, and we've been trying to crack the secrets of television. We're on a mission to create the dream schedule for our own network, Cracking TV. Each episode, we'll be looking at a different part of the TV schedule, finding the ultimate shows to fill our slots. We'll be taking it in turns as the commissioner and the pitcher. The pitcher will bring a number of shows to the commissioner in the hope of scoring that big commission. However, the commissioner has already got a big classic show in mind, And if the pitcher doesn't succeed in changing the commissioner's mind, he'll suffer the embarrassment of being thrown out of the commissioner's office. This week we're looking at Saturday morning kids TV, and I'm first up in the cigar and red socks slot as the commissioner. So, Luke, what have you got first? I think we should start with the first Saturday morning show, which was Tis Was. Now, I'm too young to remember Tiz Was, but I don't know if you remember it. I have vague memories of the Phantom Flan Flinger. Well, hopefully not nightmares. Tiz Was started on the 5th of January 1974, so before both of us were born, and it ran until April 1982. It was made by ATV in the Midlands, and of course, back then, ITV was a very federal structure, and the different companies had to sell their programmes to the other companies, and so it wasn't on air throughout the whole of the UK initially. Down here in the south, we got it quite late on, where, of course, up there in the north, you got it quite early, I think. Yeah, right. Do you know what Tiswas stands for? This is Saturday Wake and Shine. Close. Today is Saturday Watch and Smile. Okay. It was originally set up just as a link strand, presentation between the cartoons, and it soon expanded. And, of course, it was the original anarchic programme. You've already mentioned the Phantom Flanflinger. He would come out, pie anyone that was getting in his way. He was actually invented as a way of almost taking the show up market because apparently the bosses at ATV didn't like the regulars pieing each other, so they had to create a character. Okay. And who were the regulars? There was Chris Tarrant and Lenny Henry. Yeah, Sally James, Bob Carroll, geez. Oh, and Spit the Dog. Yeah, Bob had his hand up a spitting dog's ass, <laughs> And from your neck of the woods, John Gorman. They were the classic team. There are others as well over the years, but we won't mention that Jim Davidson was on it because obviously we don't want to give him the oxygen of publicity. That seems reasonable. But Chris Tarrant, he was the genius behind it. 
Tis was, in my memory, was the fun, silly, sort of adult humour show. Although I didn't get that at the time, but looking back on it, it was the one that was designed to please grown-ups as well as kids. Yeah, totally. And you get the impression Tarrant was out on the piss the night before, and then the celebrities that he got on the show, he'd probably met in the bar. He would have a bit where he'd lift kids up by their ears, but clearly the camera was cut off at such a point that... You couldn't tell that he wasn't really lifting the kids up by their ears, but the impression was given that he was. And I don't think my dad ever fully understood that because he would lift me and my friends up by literally by our ears. He'd actually do it? Yeah, he'd actually lift us up by the ears. So it just goes to show, don't repeat what you see on TV. Chris Tarrant was a highly trained child picker. Right. Uh, It was the show where anything could happen with lots of comedy sketches that they'd just thrown together. Right. A recurring segment was Compost Corner. It featured Lenny Henry playing David Bellamy. Very, very special Easter compost corner this week. We particularly want you, before next week's programme, to send in photographs of your compost heap. Compost heap! To a special compost corner photographic competition. But first, my very special guest on this morning's programme, yes, it's our old friend David Bellamy. Come in, David. Hello. We all quiz. Isn't it marvellous to be here on my favourite programme, Compost Corner? First of all, may I say I've been delving into the world of genetics and mutations with all the lovely little plants. And the other day, I crossed a climbing bean with a thistle and got a runner that wears little spikes. Like many of the skits on the show, Compost Corner... Compost Corner. Thank you. Yeah, Compost Corner was a... Compost Corner. Yeah, Compost Corner was a... Compost Corner. This slot was a segment where they got the celebrities involved and it was basically just another excuse to throw water and in this case soil at them because, you know, that's what the kids want. Absolutely. The main way they messed up the adults and sometimes the celebrities was by locking them in the cage and basically it was an excuse to throw water and slime over them. You know, there was one famous incident, John, where status quo were in the cage. Oh yeah, rocking all over the cage. Tarrant was off doing some feature or other And he just abandons it and starts manically throwing water at the cage. Right. He smelt the sweet smell of marijuana uh, in the studio. Didn't really think that was appropriate when there are a lot of kids around and just had to try and extinguish the offending item. So the the quo were just sitting smoking doobs in the cage. I mean, I don't know if it was every member. Uh, We might be libeling some of them. But yeah, that is basically what they were doing. I think the quo turning up with drugs to recordings in the 80s is not really a a controversial thing to talk about. If you've heard the stories of Band-Aid, then uh, I don't think a a bit of weed on Tiswas is particularly offensive. In front of all those kids? Well, I mean, it's not a great thing to do, don't get me wrong. (laughs) I'm I'm not condoning it. I'm not suggesting that that's what One Direction would have done. Okay, you make a strong case for Tiswas, particularly as the original and also as the first to introduce that adult sense of anarchy. But maybe you're looking for something a bit safer. I mean, as you've already said, picking up kids by their ears, turns out you shouldn't repeat what you see on TV. Perhaps you want something a bit more homely? Something a bit more BBC. Yeah, a bit more BBC. So the BBC's first foray into Saturday morning kids' TV was Swap Shop. It launched two years after Tiz was in October 1976 and ran until March 1982. It was presented by Noel Edmonds and is the start of a long association between him and live Saturday TV. 
he would have been a big deal in broadcasting at that stage. Yeah, arguably bigger deal than Chris Tarrant was when he joined his was. You know, Chris yeah. Tarrant had been a, a local news presenter in the Midlands region. Edmunds, yeah, Radio One Breakfast Show. And Cheggers, he got his gig on the show just by writing to the BBC saying, "I want to be on TV," and they put him on TV. Nice. Well done, Cheggers. I mean, obviously, he went on to have a, a great career. He played pop and he got his dick out. That's a career, isn't it? It's, it's at least memorable. And Maggie Philbin, was she on Swap Shop as well? She was on Swap Shop. And of course, she would go on to marry Keith. Yeah. I think they divorced before he got the dick out on <clears throat> TV, though. Uh, and then completing the team was John Craven. Oh, I didn't realise John Craven was on Swap Shop. We must have watched his was in my house. I don't really ever remember actually seeing an episode of Swap Shop. But the conceit of it was that you could write in and say, I got a action man for Christmas and I would rather have had a space hopper. Would anybody like yeah, to swap? Exactly. But in a very BBC sense, this is so pompous BBC, it wasn't just about swapping items. It was about swapping ideas. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So what sort of ideas were swapped? The thoughts of Cliff Richard on his latest right. album. Okay. They've had a collector's corner. You know, if Tiswas had compost corner. Compost corner. Swap Shop had collector's corner. People didn't bother repeating that. It wasn't that sort of segment. Right, okay. You could bring in your collection of rubbers or carrier bags or trolls or, or whatever. I'm going to say that so far in this pitch for Swap shop it's sounding quite dull if you want to get swap well, shop into the schedule you're going to have to do something to tickle my fancy here it's not me that's tickling your fancy it's edmunds you know noel edmunds is the ultimate live tv presenter and you know, i think in his later career he really showed that and i'm sure in a later episode we will get into a lot of his later career but he started doing live telly through swap shop and he would bring the excitement of the TV studio, what is going on around you. He would really convey that to the home viewer. And more than that, he would get up from his desk and he'd just walk out the studio, not in a huff. No, that came later when he walked out of House Party. He'd have a camera following him and they'd go and see what else was going on in TV centre. You know, this most amazing building, the place that I always wanted to work and, you know, and eventually did. It wasn't Edmonds that, that was the one who inspired me because I'm too young, but absolutely he would have inspired others who went on to do that sort of thing that then got me excited in telly. Okay. Is that your, is that your case for Swap Shop? That's a key part of it. I mean, we should go back to the swapping piece, though. Can you imagine the red tape if you wanted to do that today? Oh, absolutely. Do you think they were doing it genuinely? Because it seems to me like the sort of thing that in the old days of TV they would be cheating. Having said that, the BBC hopefully did things properly and there was somebody actually cataloguing this and making sure that little Billy got his Barbie or whatever. I really don't think there was. I think once you'd rung into the programme, said what you wanted, BBC washed their hands of it. Right. Although I'm sure the exception was Cheggers. He takes Swap Shop out of the studio on an outside broadcast to meet the kids and do live swaps. I bet he'd ensure the swaps were completed because he's a sound bloke. Yeah, he is from Liverpool. Those OBs were a great way of getting kids involved, but were actually a very clever use of BBC resources because the trucks were already out covering the football or the racing. They'd send Cheggers to wherever Grandstand was going to be that day. Nice. Cheggers would encourage the kids to go by public transport and he read out the bus numbers. <laughs> That's so early 80s BBC. So while Cheggers would ensure the kid who brought a scale electrics got the Hornby train set, I'm not sure it would be the same for the kids ringing in. And some of those phone swaps did get quite specific. What are you offering? A colour TV game. Colour TV game? Ooh. Optional gun. 
adapter. Optional gun. <laughs> I don't know why that should sound funny. It just does. And adapter. And what would you what would you hope to get? Twenty nine function digital watch. <laughs> twenty nine function digital watch. How do you get up to twenty nine? Don't know. You've obviously seen one advertised somewhere. On your on swap shop. Oh. <laughs> 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 oh, fair dues, Daniel. I obviously don't concentrate on what's going on here. So I think there's a few things we can pick out of that. I mean, 29 function digital watch. I was telling my 12-year-old son about how everything had to have a million functions and a million buttons on it in those days. And ironically, as we've created the technology that now means things do have multiple functions, we make our devices look incredibly simple so they have yeah. one button on them or no buttons on them. What can a digital watch do apart from tell the freaking time and maybe set an alarm? But there was always this pretense that it could do dozens of things. I mean, you have a calculator built in and you could write boobies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's true. That is fun and I'm sure that's exactly what that kid wanted to do. And and what was he swapping? A, a, a colour TV game. With optional gun. Uh, is this what we were calling, like, video games in the early 80s? Yeah, and he obviously couldn't say what the video game was. Right, okay. So it was an Atari or something. but Probably. The, right. And then when Edmonds asked him where he saw it, you must have seen it advertised somewhere, and the kid starts to say yes on, on Swap Shop. Is Swap Shop advertising? You know, it's public service BBC shouldn't show any brands on screen. But, you know, there's a way of getting them on, isn't there? Yeah, that's right. That kid has naively revealed a lot of what was going on in the background there. To come back to your question earlier about what is it that was special about Swap Shop, I mean, it was one of the first shows where the kids could ring in to speak to your favourite celebrities. Okay. Who would be your ideal pop act of 1980? I mean, not Bucks Fizz, because they won Eurovision in 1981. As, as yes, well, no. I, I don't know. Um, Gary Newman. Glad you went Newman. So you could get Gary Newman. He'll be on. You can ask him. Why do you feel so safe in a car? Exactly. Because it's hazardous. <laughs> there are many, many motor-related deaths per year. You could skid off the road. Yeah. <laughs> or you could suffocate. <laughs> Particularly if you had a hose pipe connected to the exhaust and you were just into a slot in the window then you wouldn't feel safe at all in your car i mean funnily enough i don't think they released that verse (laughs) (laughs) okay so i could have phoned up and and asked my questions of gary newman or i don't know cool and the gang yeah gary newman or gary glitter or cool and the gang they would have all been on on swap shop back in the day i think if you'd have had gary glitter on the same week as cool and the gang they would have had a big fight over who was the leader of the gang gary or cool with hindsight, we know exactly which way to take that answer. Yeah. But, you know, back then... Back then, it, it was not clear-cut. It was not clear-cut. There's also a thing about the phone number itself. Which phone number you remember ages you? I think I fall quite neatly between 01 and 081 for the yeah. um, the prefix part of the phone number. Yeah. But after that, it's 811-8181 for me. Yes, indeed. 081 Nice. Whereas back in the day, it was 01-811-8055. Oh. British Telecom were not doing them any favours with the snappy memorable phone numbers then. They kept the 811, mm. so I think that's Shepherd's Bush. Right. And of course, back then, they always emphasised, you know, 01 if you're outside London. Yes. <laughs> because what harm would it have done if you'd have put in 01 if you were in London? Well, exactly. It would still, have still got through, rooted through. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, presumably you wouldn't have been charged more as if you were dialing from outside the area. But who knows the vagaries of telephone bills in the early 
early 1980s. But it's London bias, isn't it? You know, if you're in London, you can ring in for the price of a local call. If you're outside London, got to pay full whack. Which would have been reasonably expensive. It would, yeah. I mean, you're probably talking like, I think it was 10 pence a minute for a local call in peak hours in the 1980s which is there's a lot even even without allowing for inflation that's a lot of money that is a lot of money i mean it's a lot cheaper now so i hope you're not arguing for that privatization was good <laughs> uh, of, of all the privatizations telecoms is probably the one that had the strongest case for it i would say but uh, that, that's that's a whole other show yes this is the uh, luke and john political podcast <laughs> Any more to say on Swap Shop, or are you happy with your pitch? I'm happy with my pitch. It may not have had the anarchy of Tiswalls, but it really brought you to the excitement of, of television. Okay, so so far we've heard Tiswalls and Swap Shop. We will give you an opportunity to pitch for two more. But before we do that, I'm going to tell you what I've brought. Okay. This is what you need to beat. Number 73. Oh, that's tough. So this launched in 1982. It was made by TVS. It replaced Tiswas, first of all, just in the South region, but later across the whole country. The main presenters that I remember were Sandy Toxvig, who was fantastic and absolutely adorable. Incredibly young, which I didn't realise until I sort of started watching them back. Uh, she was playing a character of Ethel, who was much older than Sandy herself. Yeah. Ethel was the owner of the house, number 73. At first, she was actually playing an old lady, and then over time that got toned down, so she became closer to Sandy's own age. Did they build that into the plot? I don't think so. I think it I think it just happened. Mm. But she had fantastic comic timing and incredible control over an anarchic show. Then there was also a young Neil Buchanan mm-hmm. playing the character of Neil the Artist, which was a huge stretch for him, I think, in terms of his acting chops. And Kim Goody, who was probably my first TV crush as a child. And so they were the presenters, but they were in character. They were in sort of bizarre, surreal, sitcom-style plots. Almost an element of The Young Ones, about number 73, I think, but for children on a Saturday morning. That's interesting. I hadn't heard it described as the the kids' young ones before. But yeah, now you come to say, that's a good analogy. It had an absolutely banging theme tune. Hey, you get ready, get on your feet, get into gear and hit the streets. And then there was a line that went... Well, that's PRS we've got to pay. (laughs) If you don't want to seize, I've got no idea what the verb is here. It says something like, if you don't want to cease, get down to 73. If you don't want to seize up? Yeah, I don't know. It could be that. It seems bizarre. It's probably something really simple, but it's been bugging me for 40 years now. Are you sure this isn't just because you're a scouser and your vowels are completely different to everyone else? It could well be that it's just a Maidstone pronunciation. Well, let's just have a listen and work it out. Hey, you! Hey you get ready get on your feet get into gear and hit the street hey you get moving and start to fire you 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 never know what you'll see. It's not that difficult at all. Well, that's a 40-year-old mystery solved. We've achieved something today. That proves that this podcast is also educational. (laughs) So as well as these bizarre sitcom-style plots, the show would be interspersed with celebrity guests, live band performances, and really, really live. Like, you know, if you want to see Dexys doing Come On Eileen, playing it live in the studio, in this living room set... 
with Sandy Toxic dancing around and amongst the band members. That happened on number 73. And, and They actually played the instruments live. They sang live. They're certainly singing live. And the, the instrumental recording, if they're not playing it live there and then, it's certainly a session-style recording because it's not the record. Right. I guess maybe it was like top-of-the-pop style rules of, of the day. You, you would have to come in and play it even if you then mimed. But it, it's not a miming to the you know, Not miming recording. to the single. That's right. Did you see Iggy Pop? I don't remember seeing Iggy, no. He was on there singing Wild One. At some point during the sort of instrumental break, he spots that there's a teddy bear sitting just innocently in the corner of the uh, living room. I'm worried about where this is going. Yeah. Well, it starts off fine. And, you know, he's dancing along with this this teddy. And it's quite a big teddy, like two foot tall. Right. And Iggy Pop's quite short, I think. It's not like parity in size, but you, you could sort of see that it could work out. Right. He starts dancing around with this teddy. And then, well, the only way I can describe it is he's having anal with a teddy bear on a kid's show. <gasps> what? Yeah. Oh, my word. Mm. They would have lots of games as well. So, for example, they had the sandwich quiz. Now, I vaguely remember that. I mean, obviously it involved making sandwiches. Yeah, you'd have two contestants who were the guest star celebrities that week. They'd stand behind a kitchen counter, each holding a butter knife and each having a huge stack of bread slices in front of them. And then Ethel would introduce the quiz with it's the daring, dazzling, death-defyingly dull, devastatingly dangerous, delectable, delicatessenable, divinely decadent sandwich quiz. And then she'd ask a question and whoever banged their knife on the counter first got to answer. Is that a euphemism? (laughs) If they got it right, then they won a slice of bread. Right. And then they could choose a category question in order to win a sandwich filling. And the player at the end of the game with the most complete sandwiches took the golden loaf trophy. Who doesn't want to watch Nick Kershaw take on Alvin Stardust in that format? Because that happened. Wow. And they were huge. Yeah, Alvin Stardust may have been a a little past his best, but Nick Kershaw was peak of planet pop. If you didn't get the bonus question right, you just ended up with bread. Yeah, I guess you'd just have empty bread. That's harsh, isn't it? I'm not sure that you then took that back to the green room as your rider for the show. I think other food was probably provided. That would be a good format point if what you get to eat for lunch is what you've won in the quiz. That would have been good. It's almost an early Bush Tucker trial. Yeah, I mean, that's true, actually. I suppose in later decades, we would find out that celebrities would do anything to be on TV. But back in those days, there was still the pretense that you had to treat them with some sort of special care and attention. With respect. You'd also have in the show deliberately amateurish films, a bit like Morecambe and Wise would do. So Ethel had a fictional company called Front Door Productions, and they would do side-splittingly hilarious spoofs of the A-Team, which was called the Z-Team. I wonder where they... Pissing yourself already. Yeah. And Bond movies were spoofed with From Flusher with Love. Right. That sort of top-level comedy. But speaking of top-level comedy, Frank Sidebottom, a genuine comedic genius, often featured on number 73. And also, and this is probably the final part of my pitch, my second cousin's husband played guitar with the band The Christians. And when they appeared on number 73, he got me a number 73 postcard, which he signed... He didn't get Ethel to sign it. He signed it himself. The bloke you already knew. Yeah, and was like vaguely related to me and was like, you know, rhythm guitarist for the mm. Christians. So I don't still have that card. But I did appreciate that it had number 73 on the front of it because I was a big fan of the show. So that's what you've got to beat. But so far you've made cases for Tiswas and Swap Shop. But let's, uh, let's hear what you've got next. It's basically three programmes in one. Yeah, that feels like a bit of a cheat. 
you could look at it as a cheat or a solid format that lasted more than 15 years. Okay, let's hear it. Swap Shop was replaced by Saturday Superstore. Yeah, I remember that. That ran from 1982 to 1987. And then there was Going Live from 1987 to 1993, followed by Live and Kicking from 1993 to 2001. And we'll talk about things from all three shows. Okay. Superstore's main host was Mike Reed, who, like Edmonds at the start of Swap Shop, was the incumbent Radio 1 breakfast show host, carrying over from Swap Shop were Keith Chegwin and John Craven, while Sarah Green became joint main host alongside Reed from the second series. Reed's main shtick was that he was always threatening to get his guitar out. This is Mike Reed who would later bring us the UKIP Calypso. Exactly. Probably best we don't listen to that. I think that's probably right. I always thought he looked a bit like Cliff Richard. He did, and he'd often do an impression of Cliff Richard playing tennis, you know, pouting the lips. Uh, the japes, because that's probably what the kids were really interested in by the early 80s was Cliff Richard. This is going up against number 73. It's, it's not doing very well, is it? No, Mike Reed is not going to get you very many points with me. The pitch is based around all three shows, and it does get better. But before we move on, I mean, Saturday Superstore did start to get some big guests. Yeah. They got the Prime Minister of the day. What, Margaret Thatcher? She was the Prime Minister of the day, yes. Good knowledge. That's my, knowledge. my politics degree has seen me in good stead there. The it, it Prime really Minister has. of the United Kingdom in the 1980s was Margaret Thatcher. She was quizzed by the kids. One kid famously rang in and asked her where would she be if there were a nuclear war. Oh, right. Okay, that's an excellent question. And what did she say? She said that the whole point of nuclear weapons was to prevent war. Uh, That's a bit of a dodge, isn't it? But the kid followed up and said, but no, where would you be? Wow. This child could have been Paxman. (laughs) Yes. And did she give an answer? Because she she did have a, a safe bunker that she could run off to in the event of a nuclear war. She did in the West Country. But no, she said she'd be in London. Oh, liar. I love that snapshot into what we used to think about as children in the 80s, whereas probably kids nowadays wake up in cold sweat and terror all the time, given the world that we live in. But children you know, of the millennial generation or, or just after probably just thought about Britpop and Spice Girls, whereas yeah. we would wake up in a cold sweat thinking about nuclear war and AIDS. Sometimes on the same day. Yeah. You'd wake up in a cold sweat trying to work out which is your favourite Spice Girl. That is true, actually. Potentially high stakes. If you didn't say Mel C, you're wrong. We'll have to have this discussion another time as well. I've got a bit of beef with Mel C because she's from Widness. There's me with my southern ignorance. (laughs) They had a a pop song review segment. Okay. And they got Thatcher to review Pepsi and Shirley heartache. Right. I didn't think it sounded like heartache at all. I thought the nearest it got to heartache was that almost ballet bit, you know, with several people standing up in the background moving. That was the nearest to heartache. Otherwise, it was thump, thump, thump. I would say three. Three for you. Would you dance to it? No, I wouldn't because there was no melody. There certainly was rhythm. You could do a movement to it. You could do a movement to any rhythm. You could do a movement to a drum without having any song. But there was no melody and no heartache. Of course, she'd know all about heartache, given how much she caused. Given what I said earlier about the privatisation of telecoms, and given what I'm about to say about Thatcher, you might come to the conclusion that my politics are diametrically opposed to what they actually are. She's had a good crack there at giving a thoughtful response to a question that she's obviously not very well versed in. Clearly, she's not a pop yeah. music person. I think her favourite song was How Much Is That Doggy in the Window? And her favourite recording was Telstar. But, you know, she she's not dodged it there. She's, like, she's had a go and she's really thought about her response. Do you agree with her views on dancing, that you can move to anything? The point that she's making, that all you require is a rhythm to dance to, you don't require a melody to it, is absolutely right. That's what the whole rave scene was based on just a few years after that 
which she then brought crashing down with the criminal justice bill. But from that description, she should have been in the mosh pit at the rave. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm not sure you have a mosh pit at a rave. I've never been to one. (laughs) A mosh pit or a rave. Well, either. That was Saturday Superstore. Also, it featured David Icke on Sports Desk. Fantastic. Wow. I mean, this was obviously before he went weird. Before he told us all the truth about the Illuminati and the lizard people, yes. Yes, and before he declared himself the son of God. The turquoise tracksuits, the being the son of God, the blaming everything on shape-shifting lizard stuff is obviously nonsense. Mm. We should move on to going live. This is the BBC television service. We're doing three shows in one here, but I think Going Live is the ultimate Saturday morning show. Okay, so this is your strong pitch. It brought together all of the different things that make up a great Saturday morning show. They were experimenting with Swap Shop, Superstore had the boring edge, but Going Live had everything. Sarah Green continued to host and was joined by Philip Schofield and Gordon the Gopher, fresh from the broom cupboard. Going Live was a huge show that Philip and Sarah hosted magnificently. Phil's gone on to great things, which means he doesn't have to queue. <laughs> uh, but no, he's he's obviously one of the best TV presenters in the country. He's never been off TV, has he? He's never not been presenting a big show in the no, last exactly. 35 years. Going like blended, the fun and the poignant. I was going to say serious, but poignant's probably a better word. They would have big interviews, wouldn't they, again, with politicians or Alan Yentob, like serious figures that kids yeah. wouldn't usually be exposed to. One of Terry Waite's first interviews after he was released from captivity was on Going Live. On the face of it, why would kids be interested? But actually, I remember as a kid, you knew that he'd been taken hostage. You might not have known all the geopolitical reasons behind it, but you knew hostage taking was wrong. Yeah. And you were genuinely interested to hear what he had to say. And it was that thing of not talking down to kids, treating them as very sensible, thoughtful people. Yeah. Didn't they used to have a phone-in game on Going Live? They did. Where you could... I guess at first it was that there was sort of a video game on a screen and you would verbally tell it whether to turn left or right. And and was it later that you would push the buttons on your phone to, to help to move it? Yeah. There were various CBBC dial-in game shows like that. The kid would watch on screen. They'd say up, left, right, and then the operator would press the keys on the keyboard. And then, yeah, I think there was one where they responded to the tones sent down the phone. Cutting edge. Absolutely. And of course, all these games were sort of custom written in-house by the BBC on Acorn computer equipment. Mixing the serious and the lighthearted was a key thing of going live. And they introduced a comedy double act, Trevor and Simon. Trevor and Simon. Yeah, I remember them well. Swing your pants and we don't do duvets. We don't do duvets. I think I remember them doing a parody of the video for Erasure's Stop, which yes. was so frighteningly accurate because they yes. look like Vince Clark and Andy Bell. Yeah, I found a clip where they were doing something next to a Vince Clark and Andy Bell. It was, can you tell which one is which? <laughs> which double act is which? Yeah. They were a lot of fun. I did a sort of jukebox jury thing as well, didn't they? They did. Where they would get celebrities on and they would play songs. And if it was going to be a hit, it'd be a blast of Spandau by gold exactly and yeah we don't do duvets is still a catchphrase that that runs in my internal monologue 
if anyone ever says they don't do that, that's instantly what I think. Yeah, Trevor and Simon were genuinely funny. And there were other people on TV that would try to do a similar act. I think at one point they might have even briefly have left going live or live and kicking and been replaced by another double act, which didn't work. That's true, they were. It's a hard thing to get right. Just coming up with four or five funny sketches every week is hard. And then also pitching it at children and making it genuinely funny to children without being patronising is hard. And then giving it a level where adults will find it funny too is also hard. And so it surprises me that they didn't go on to success outside of the oeuvre of children's TV, to be honest. I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, we know how hard it is to write a sketch. And that's without trying to get it to a standard that's good enough for TV. Pitch it at kids in a way that isn't going to get you banned from television but making it sassy enough that it appeals to adults it is a very clever thing that they did and they definitely deserve more credit than they got there were plenty of really poor comedy double acts still getting primetime tv shows at that point the little and large show was still on tv yeah exactly yeah Speaking of Simon, Mm. there was also Peter Simon. Nice segue. So he was doing Double Dare as a gunge-filled quiz show and later Run the Risk alongside a young Shane Ritchie. Shane Ritchie would say, turn and face the legend. He would. Which which seemed a bit much. It was a bit much uh, when he was in his 20s or 30s, I guess. I don't think I'd even describe him as a legend now, despite his success in Channel 5's remake of Minder. (laughs) Everyone remembers Channel 5's remake of Minder. But yeah, turn and face the legend. Who do you pick, Peter Simon or, or Shane Ritchie? I'd go Peter Simon. Sorry, Shane. Well, we'll discuss this at some other point on the on the show, but I've worked with Peter Simon and yeah. I knew him for a, a few years and he was a very nice chap, whereas I've never met Shane Ritchie. My, my dad bought me Shane Ritchie's autobiography once, but I've never read it. I skipped to the page that had Run the Risk in it and it said something like, I briefly did a kids' TV quiz called Run the Risk. It was what it was, and then we found other work. Oh, that's just rude. Mm. Going Live also had phone-ins, and you could speak to your favourite celebrities. Oh, yes. And, yeah, I've got a question for you, John. When did you change your name from Elliot? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Elliot, what's your question? I'd like to ask five star where they fucking crap, they're fucking... Thanks very much, Elliot. Elliot, one of television's greatest geniuses absolutely i mean he created a moment for the ages there was that before or after somebody did something similar with matt bianco that was after do you want to hear the matt bianco moment yes please simon roberts on the line hello simon Hello. You're through to Matt Bianco. Hello, Matt Bianco. Hello, Simon. A bunch of wankers. Hello, he's gone. (laughs) I like it that the presenter there says, hello, oh, he's gone. Like, he wants to continue the conversation, whereas at least Sarah Green cuts Elliot off. In this case, it's like, "Mm, well, let's have a bit of a chat about why you think Matt Bianco or wankers. Yeah, let's listen to that again. Hello, Simon. Hello, Simon. A bunch of wankers. Hello, Let's have a serious discussion. Wankers or not wankers? Sarah Green, I remember coming over very school marmly after Elliot spoke that way to Five Star and sort of saying that was very silly. Fucking crap, they're fucking... Thanks very much, Elliot. Nice to hear from you. I'm sure Tammy would have made a lot more sense. Let's move on to line three. Have you got a sensible question? 
You just about hear someone in in the background saying, take it off. (laughs) Sarah, just thank you. Move on. Super professional. Yeah. I always wonder how those kids got through. I I think in one of those cases, it was that their younger brother had been selected to ask the question. And then the older brother had just pushed the kid out of the way and taken the phone. In the other case, I don't know if they had fooled the telephone handlers by pretending they were going to ask a sensible question. Because I used to try to phone into these things and, and you know, you'd have to have an original question. You'd have to sound like you had a good enough voice to be on TV. I never got through. Well, you're from the North. There's no way the BBC would have put you on. <laughs> I think several times I tried to speak to, I don't know, Tony Robinson or whoever was the guest that week. Clearly, you couldn't have just said, yeah, I'm going to ask Five Star why they're so fucking shit. Although it would be funny if one of the phone operators was a bit subversive. It was like, yeah, son, that is a brilliant <laughs> question. Don't just call them shit. Call them fucking shit. Yeah, because we've had Matt Bianco being wankers and that's too tame now. We need to step it up a level. So from going live, it was then live and kicking. Right. So your your pitch here is that going live and live and kicking are essentially the same show. You get both shows. It's a twofer. Okay. You're buying into 12 years of top quality TV. Now, I liked Live and Kicking. I found Going Live, I hear what you're saying about it, including the elements of anarchy, but I think probably because Sarah Green, and to a lesser extent, but still significant extent, Philip Schofield, both felt like grown-ups. Yeah, they were grown-ups. I found them very watchable, but not as exciting as, say, the 73 presenters. Live and Kicking, though, I think when it had Jamie Theakston and Zoe Ball, and maybe it's because I was a bit older then, but they felt more like your mates. Well, Exactly. And I think this is what we're building up to. But we just need to go back one step. So before Zoe and Jamie, it was, of course, Andy and Emma. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And Emma Forbes had done the cookery segment on Going Live. Yes. had this great rapport with Phil. But then they made her main host. They brought Andy across from the broom cupboard. Yeah. Andy, who is Mr. Showbiz, consummate professional. And they built upon Going Live. Trevor Simon, Peter Simon moved over. I think Run the Risk had actually had one year on Going Live. Ed the Duck, though, didn't make it out of the broom covered into live and kicking whereas gordon the gopher had previously made that journey that's true presumably um ed the duck was served up with orange sauce I guess that must be the case. No, that's not true. I have seen Ed the Duck in Television Centre in an office. And he's still alive and well. In presentation. Well, who knows now? Because obviously TV Centre isn't what it was. Right. But I can confirm that as recently as 15 years ago, Ed the Duck was alive and happy. I'm pleased to hear it. From Andy and Emma, you had three years of that era of Live and Kicking. And then moving into three years of Zoe and Jamie. And I think you're exactly right. That was your mates on TV. It still wasn't the full-on anarchy of Tiswath or the show that we're going to finish on. But it was back to that feeling, I suppose, of this is the party. It's a continuation of them being out on the piss the night before. Yes. They were no doubt in the BBC club immediately afterwards. Yeah, it was a bit cooler and it felt quite zeitgeisty and quite contemporary in that, you know, the pop stars of the day felt like they were probably watching the show, felt like they were hanging out with Jamie and Zoe, probably dating them. It, It all felt very tied into Britpop, but also the pop music, Take That and Spice Girls and whoever else were the big pop stars of the day and then also the dance music scene not that that was like heavily featured on the show but clearly that's what it was referenced yeah and zoe at least was into yeah i was a teenager by this point so maybe what i was looking for was a bit different but i i thought they were really cool i really enjoyed. they really were they brought in some of the big comedy names as well harry enfield would always appear every series you'd expect vic and bob to turn up right yeah acts not directly aimed at the kids 
and indeed a sizable portion of the audience should not have been watching but of course were and then you just sort of bring that around as having this zeitgeisty feeling that's exactly right and it had that saturday morning students or people in their 20s with a hangover could watch it sort of a feel exactly and i hope it didn't leave the small kids behind although we'd have to ask people who were young at that time to know i'd whether. be surprised if it did Okay, so we'll call that going live plus live and kicking. Yes. That's that particular pitch. I think that's very kind. I had said it was all three shows, but to treat it just as going live and live and kicking is good. And we should also stop live and kicking before it gets into the last two series. So we'll stop at the end of the Zoe and Jamie era. Who was after that? I have no memory of that. So Steve Wilson and Emma Ledden. Rings no bells. There was nothing particularly bad about them. They didn't quite have the Zoe and Jamie chemistry, but I mean, that was obviously special. Yeah. But that was their first problem. They were coming after Zoe and Jamie. And then their big problem was a little show called SMTV Live on ITV. Ah, yes. That was an excellent show, but you're not pitching it to me. Well, I only get a limited number of choices, and I wanted to cover the origins of Saturday mornings. So while I think SMTV is a brilliant show, I ran out of spaces. I think this might be a costly mistake on your behalf, but you should at least tell us a bit about SMTV Live. Ant and Deck were the brains behind SMTV Live, and they'd actually pitched an equivalent of Top of the Pops. They thought they could get the rights to the official charts from the BBC. Oh, interesting. They didn't quite get that show, but what they were given instead was three hours on Saturday morning. They initially turned it down as they just wanted to do the music show, but ITV were insistent that the only way it would work financially was if they did the full three hours. Eventually they agreed and they launched SMTV Live and CD UK. So they were doing two live shows back to back. Exactly. So SMTV Live started in August 1998 and they were up against the last year of Zoe and Jamie live and kicking. I guess it was difficult at first front and deck to drag those viewers over to ITV. They were doing very badly in the ratings, and I think it's fair to say that initially they didn't put as much effort into SMTV as CD UK. After all, it was CD UK that they really wanted to make. Right, yeah. SMTV had something massively in its favour though. Live and Kicking only ran for six months of the year, but SMTV ran all year. By the time the first summer rolled round, they'd introduced new features, and they built up an audience that largely didn't leave when Live and Kicking relaunched with new hosts. More than most Saturday morning kids TV shows, the presenters looked like they were loving every minute of being on there. Ant and Deck plus Cat Dealey, they are having a ball absolutely all of the time. They were having a laugh, and as a viewer, they made you part of that. They had a sort of revolutionary attitude with the viewer on their phone in Quiz Wonky Donkey, didn't they? A soft toy would be dressed in a particular way, and you had to guess what it was. The only rule was that it had to rhyme. Deck would get absolutely irate at the kids who called in and got it wrong. Shall we play a game? Okay, yeah, let's have a quick go of Wonky Donkey. I'll describe an animal and you try to figure out what it is. Okay, so this is a bird of prey and it's got a bad haircut and a rubbish cardigan. You've got 10 seconds. It could be an owl. Um, give me a rhyme, man. Uh, Come on, man, give me a rhyme. Owl barnet. Try something, say something to me. Owl barnet doesn't even uh, rhyme, man. Another hawk. Oh, you've run out of time. You're out, you're out, it's rubbish. It was uh, dork hawk. I got to hawk. Yeah, well, that's not good enough, is it? Do you want to try one of me? 
a goat. Okay. It looks a bit stupid. Boat goat. Boat goat. <laughs> goat's clue. I'm not going to say goat if the answer's goat, well, am I? Well, if it's I? a goat, then it's a goat. Um, Think of other names for a goat. I don't know. A goat is just called a goat. Oh, kid. Um, Come on. Stupid kid. That doesn't rhyme. <laughs> it nearly rhymes. Not even in Scouse does that rhyme. Um, no, you're out of time. Okay. What was it? Silly Billy. Oh, uh, all right. Yeah, fair enough. I've got one more for you. Okay. It's a mollusk in a shell. Right. With big hair, a big smile, and it's wearing a Choose Life t-shirt. Go. Is it a snail? I'm not telling you if it's a snail. Give me a rhyme. Give me a rhyme, man. Come on, say uh, something to me. You're just standing there with the phone in your hand. You're seeing notes. Snail mail. Snail mail. Uh, look, it rhymes. You've got to give me that. It rhymes, but it doesn't even make any sense, man. Uh, snail pale. Yeah, out of time. It was wham clam. Oh, my goodness. How was I supposed to get that? Well, who else is wearing a Choose Life t-shirt with big hair and a big smile? It's George Michael. I was thinking train spotting. Well, I'm sorry, you were wrong. They would do a sketch every week that was a spoof of Friends called Chums. Yes. Which always seemed to have steps on it whenever I saw it. Controversially, I've never found Friends that funny. Right. I actually think Chums is funnier than Friends. That is controversial, but I remember enjoying it a lot. The celebrities really got to have a ball when they cameoed on Chums. Yeah, it did look like fun. A recurring plot was Deck and Cat trying to get together. Right, a will-they-won't-they romance. It worked all the way through until the final episode, which was Deck and Cat's wedding. And do you know who Cat's bridesmaid was? No, I don't. Mariah Carey. <laughs> That's extraordinary, isn't it? That really is reaching for the stars. That is how big that show became. And um, what else did they have? Challenge Ant. What did you have to do in that? So Challenge Ant was Ant versus a kid. The kid would ask the questions of Ant. Didn't this end with them singing You're Thick at the kid if they lost? Not quite. <laughs> it ended up with them singing You're Thick at Ant if he lost. Right, okay. And if Ant won, he would grab all the prizes. And he would get right in their face and say he won and he's the best. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So SMTV Live introduced Pokemon to the UK. And it was during an intro to an episode of Pokemon that Deck fainted and appeared to pass out unconscious. What, for real? It looked like it was for real, and they got lots and lots of calls, but it was April Fool's Day. Oh, no way. That's naughty. They hadn't told anyone at ITV they were doing it, and they got into a lot of trouble. Oh, dear. So, yeah, SMTV Live, at its peak, it absolutely had that magic, so I would have looked very favourably upon that as one of your pitches today, but uh, let's move on to your final pitch. We come full circle to anarchy on Saturday mornings. We've talked about presenters who have been up all night partying, and I think these boys might have been. It's Dick and Dom in the bungalow. Wake up, Dick and Dom, and get out of bed. Get yourself dressed, there's a crazy day ahead. There's a million things to do and lots of people to meet. In the bungalow and on the street. Go, go, Dick and Dom. Go, go, Dick and Dom. Hey, Dick and Dom, have you seen the time? The kids were all here at 20 to 9. So don't be surprised if you hear Okay, so this show, I mean, I was already an adult by the time it was on TV, but when I did catch it, I thought it was hilarious. I think it's one of the greatest TV shows ever made. I think it's genius. It originally started on the CBBC channel, a bit like Tiz was. It was presentation between the shows, but they built it up to the point that the CBBC channel had a better Saturday morning show than BBC One. So after a year, 
the show transferred from CBBC to BBC One. And famous for innuendo. Absolutely. They used to spray their creamy muck muck all over the kids. I mean, how they got away with that, I do not know. Don would wear a t-shirt saying Morning Wood. Yes, that did result in a formal BBC bollocking. Right. But I mean, it's perfectly reasonable. It was the morning and his surname is Wood. Yeah. My favourite bit of innuendo, though. There was one week where they got a parent on the phone. Kid wasn't there. And the parent says she loves a big dick, but she prefers a little Dom. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't make it up. Amazing. Amazing. So they would play games, they would play bogeys. So bogeys was a game where the two of them would go into a public space, like a library, sit next to each other, and one of you would say bogeys, and then the other one would have to say bogeys slightly louder. Yeah. It would end up with one of them shouting bogeys, and then everyone looking, and then they'd run away. They'd run off. And it was presented with a sort of commentary over the top and a point-scoring facade. Obviously, the game itself is funny enough, but the commentary over the top, you know, like a football commentator, slightly sardonic football commentator, really made the feature. Yeah. They then played lots of games with the kids. So, you know, the conceit of the show was that they'd have the kids on. They called them bungalow heads. They were competing to win bungalow points and they played various games there was the classic make dick sick a kid would have to ring in and tell a story that made dick spew out the uh, substance that he'd already sort of you know, secreted in his mouth and it made it look like he was vomiting okay one week they did it as a uh, make dom vom but then that got taken off air because it was deemed that they'd gone too far right they had a game where they got babies in the studio you know actual little babies put them at one end of the um, living room and had them crawl to the parents on the other side and the baby that got to the parent first was on the winner fantastic yeah and then the baby that lost got gunged no they didn't (laughs) there was one sketch that i i remember where a cow gave birth to dom just came out covered in yeah sort of slimy afterbirth there was another one where um dick gave birth and he had baby after baby coming out (laughs) of him (laughs) and spewing the slime everywhere don't worry, Mr. McCord. Everything's uh, absolutely fine. Uh, oh, 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 okay. Oh, right. Oh, All right. I think, he, I think he's gonna pop out. Three, two, God love baby. Oh, hey, you've given birth to a beautiful baby boy. Oh, well, but what are you gonna call it? I'm gonna call it Dominic after you, mate. Oh, oh I love you, mate. Thank you. Wait, more muck, muck. Is there another one? Ah, oh, yeah, another. Oh, Amazing. The big finish of each show was basically just a massive food fight. Nice. You know, the, the creamy muck muck finale where they just threw custard at each other. It sounds like a lot of fun. I suppose it's quite a while ago now. Because I'm old, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago. But I suppose it must be getting on for 20 years ago. It is. Unbelievable. It's 20 years ago. It started in 2002. Why do we not have shows like that anymore? Absolutely. Is it just because kids want to watch YouTube videos of somebody unwrapping a box or playing Mario and that's why there's no investment in big shows like that anymore? I think it's genuinely sad. You know, obviously the world is changing to streaming and there, there's many positives about that. But where do you get those exciting moments? You know, and it could be Noel Edmonds leaving the studio to see what else is going on in Television Centre. 
It could be you've got grandstand following and you're doing some tie-in with what else is going on that day. Or it could just be two big kids like Dick and Dom just taking over and causing absolute chaos. Yeah, and the thing is, there's no intrinsic reason why streaming should be the end of live TV. No. There are technical challenges, as I'm sure you know much better than I do, but we watch live sports on Amazon Prime. There's no reason why, even if everybody moves to iPlayer and away from broadcast linear channels, why the BBC couldn't continue to have these live, exciting moments. We should point out the BBC has brought back a Saturday morning show saturday mashup okay i'm behind the time so yes i didn't realize that but you've got kids who are of an age and we happen to be recording this on a saturday morning by coincidence why are they not watching saturday morning tv now yeah it's just not not the thing that's interest to them they literally prefer to watch youtubers playing video games and i just can't understand this generation no parent understands the children's generation but it's supposed to be because they're into things that are shocking and strange and you know music that's just noise and lyrics that are offensive Mm. not oh my god this is just so boring why are you watching this yeah Shall we finish the pitch with a a Dick and Dom game? Please. This is taken from the Dick and Dom album. Okay. And it's actually a game that Chris Moyles nicked, but it started on Dick and Dom. I've got the little intro that explains how it works. You gotta listen out for this gap. Insert a famous name, but don't flap. There's something like Sebastian Coe. Celebrity two-word tango. I hate Sebastian Coe. <laughs> that aside, uh, it's celebrity two-word tango. Okay. And seeing as we're doing uh, Saturday morning TV, maybe all the celebrities should be hosts of Saturday morning TV shows? Okay, you just had to make it even harder than the, the original game. Come on, we're up for this. Yeah, let's do it. We can do it. Who wants to start? I'll go first. Big Philip Schofield. Andy Peters. Sarah Green. Emma Forbes Noel Edmonds Dick and Dom Trevor and Simon Chris Tarrant Lenny Henry Bob Carrollgees Maggie Philbin Sandy Togsvick Jamie Theakston Neil Buchanan Zoe Ball Andy Crane Danny Burr Yvette Fielding Anton Deck Kat Dealey H from Steps Joe Mace Claire from Steps Ah! Yes! Claire from Steps wins for me every time in my life You always score with Claire from Steps (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was fun that was fun I nearly went after H from Steps it's only because you said Danny Bear and I'd remembered who she presented with it was very surprising to me that Danny Bear's short stint on Saturday morning TV came to my mind in the moment there I'm impressed so you have given me your four pitches Tiswas, Swap Shop Going Live and Dick and Dom yeah and they will be up against my existing commission of number 73 but before I choose I just want to put you to the test to see whether you are a worthy producer of Saturday morning TV. Okay. So I'm going to ask you four questions. Let's see how you get on. First of all, 
ITV's Saturday Starship was presented by Tommy Boyd and which actress slash singer? A former child star and also a Doctor Who companion. Is it Bonnie Langford? It is Bonnie Langford. Well done. You got your first one right. Oh, that's a hard one to start. Question two. Which member of Take That was a guest presenter on Going Live while Philip Schofield was off doing Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat? Wow. Uh, I'm going to have to say Robbie. It was Robbie Williams. So you've got two out of two. Question three. Which Mad Chester band performed the theme tune to 8.15 from Manchester? Uh, in Spiral Carpets. Correct. Three for three. And finally, can you name the cow puppet from Fully Booked? Yes. <laughs> well, you're going to have to actually name that cow. I think it's Morag. It is Morag. Four for four. Nice. Excellent. Well, that doesn't have to influence my decision, but I've got to say it helps a bit. So, you've pitched me four shows today, and if I pick one of those shows, you get my sack of cash to produce the show. Your sack is as good as mine. Don't get cocky, because if I go with number 73, then you'll leave here in ignominy and disgrace. I know, but I have confidence in my shows. Well, we'll see. I'm ready to give you my decision. I must say, I came in today leaning heavily towards number 73. Yeah. Mainly because I loved it as a child, and I think all the things that I said about it absolutely hold true. There are some fantastic moments in that show. For sure. But as we were talking, I did start to lean towards Tiswas. For a moment there, my thinking was, that's the originator of that sort of sense of humour. Also, I've just got an intrinsic sense of bias against BBC Saturday morning TV shows because I've always considered the BBC shows to be a little bit on the safe side. But, having said that, Dick and Dom was far from safe. So you have convinced me that there's anarchy there on the BBC side as well. Okay. Swap Shop was safe. I know what you're saying about Noel Edmonds getting up and moving around TV centre, but it's not enough for me. That is ruled out as far as I'm concerned. It's too much like something Boy Scouts would watch, and I want something more rebellious. I think you made a very strong pitch for going live slash live and kicking. And in particular, I was quite impressed with the idea that it features all of the things that you're looking for from Saturday morning TV. So if we're looking for an exemplar to put into our cracking TV schedule, something that has got the games, the guests, the sense of anarchy and fun, the sense of being the centre of the school ground world, the thing that people are going to come in and talk about on Monday morning, then I think you might have persuaded me. So all told, I am happy to award the commission to Going Live. Wow, I wasn't expecting that. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You've got one in. I really thought if it wasn't going to be number 73, you'd have gone for Dick and Dom. No, I mean, Dick and Dom was a strong case. But yeah, I think Going Live, having that really broad appeal is what I'm going to award it for. So that's this week's decision. That was the first episode of Cracking TV. Hope you enjoyed it. Cracking TV was produced and presented by me, John Furlong, and him, Luke Sluman. Our rather marvellous theme tune was written and performed by Simon McInerney. Luke and John Cracking TV is an IHOG factual entertainment production. It's time to change the channel to Luke and John Cracking TV. Luke and John Cracking TV. 